Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Here's the deal. Since it's Father's Day, I thought I'd finally come clean about this whole thing. I right, look. My kids have turned out really well because of my wife. Um, for the older two, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I made a lot of mistakes. The next two, I've learned a little bit more, and so I'm making a fewer mistakes in this process. And, and because I still don't have it all together, we have a couple foster kids. Um, and so I'm still learning how to be kind of a dad. And so, you know, it's one of those deals. So I think we're brought into my life so that we, I can continue to learn and grow as a dad. So on Father's Day, I thought I would say, hey, thanks for being incredible kids. Um, and uh, it's really cool. And it was cool to, um, yeah, you know, um, you know, I know growing up, there were probably times in their lives when um, they didn't want to listen, um, but they did most of the time. Um, but also, I know, like, growing up, in my, growing up in my lifetime, like, during my years of growing up, there were a lot of times I was forced to obey things that I didn't really want to do. Like, cleaning my room, right? My parents forced me to clean my room. They also forced me to mow the grass. How they forced me to do that is... If I didn't do those things, I couldn't hang out with my friends. So I would go all week and, you know, just do whatever. And they're like, you got to clean your room. And then I'd be like, hey, can I go out? No. I'm like, well, you're no fun. What's wrong with you? I didn't say that. That would have been bad right there, right? And so, but, you know, you're like thinking, what is going on? And, and they would be like, did you clean your room? No, you can't go. I may have told this, I don't know, but I, there was one time I told my dad I'd clean my room, and um, I'd done a sort of okay job, um, but I'd gone out playing with my friends, and I was probably in middle schoolish age, and I'm riding my bike home. We lived on a corner and two-story house. And I'm riding my bike home to side street, and I look at the second story window where my bedroom was, and I'm just watching stuff fly out the window. <laughs> and that was my dad chucking everything I hadn't cleaned up out the window into the backyard. Yeah, 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 that was, that was good. And then I got grounded. That was wonderful. You, you think I'm just messing with you, I'm just telling you stories, but actually what I'm doing is I want you to understand that there, there are things in life that we're forced to do and always doesn't turn out the way we want them to turn out. And... And so there's something about this whole forced obedience thing that's kind of weird, and so, so there's things we can learn from that. It, look, I, um, years ago at, at camp, uh, we had a speaker at camp that had been uh, convicted of murder. Okay, convicted of murder, uh, spent eight and a half years in prison for murder. Um, he now pastors a church in Tennessee. I know it's a weird combination there. You're like, oh, what in the world? Okay, but, but while he's in prison, he comes to faith. And while he's in prison, he starts to go to chapel, and he's, you know, he's reading the Bible, and he's doing stuff, and he would, um, 
like on all the cells of the other prisoners. He would just rattle stuff like bang, metal, like drink cups and stuff like that on him, waking them up to get him to go to chapel, right? And his, his intent was good. His process wasn't so good. Then he read the scripture in Luke 14 that says this, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. When he read the word, read the word compel, he's like, I got it. Toilet brush. Anybody's going to go? I'll just bust him in the mouth of the toilet brush. He knocked out a guy's front teeth. Trying to compel them. Bad idea. All right? Just that's not what Jesus was trying to say. He wasn't saying that. But, but that's the way he was. Forced compliance and obedience sometimes is a struggle. And so we're going to get to that. And, and that is not what Jesus had in mind. Have you ever been in a situation at work, for instance? Because I know it's probably true. Have you ever been in a situation at work where you were forced to make a change? And you didn't really want to make that change. Because you got a new boss, and you're like, yeah, I'll just wait the boss out. And that's what people do. They just kind of wait the boss out. They're like, ah, bosses come and go, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm the stability here. I'm just going to keep doing the things I do. I'll do enough to get by, but I'm not going to, like, fully buy in because the boss is going to change, and the thing's going to change, or the boss is going to change your mind. And... But you do enough just to get by. That's probably not what we want either. And so when we look at, we're, we're going to continue and kind of finish up our, our, our look at kings of old. And we're going to talk about a guy named Josiah today. Josiah is an incredible king. Josiah is an incredible story. When you think about Josiah, Josiah, well, Josiah became king when he was eight years old. <laughs> How many of you are like, I'm going to move to that country where the king's eight? Some of you feel like you're ruled by your children, but that's not a good thing, right? I mean, you're like, that is crazy. Eight years old and king. Now, I'm sure he had advisors and all those things. They weren't letting him make any really crazy major decisions because that would have been, like, not good. But it's scary to have an eight-year-old king. But something really cool happens when the eight-year-old king gets into this set of his life, this teen years, Becomes 16 years old, and all of a sudden, he starts seeking God. But Josiah didn't have great examples to follow. His father was Ammon. <laughs> he was a bad king. His grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh did many evil things and only turned to God in the midst of being carried off in Assyrian captivity. And, and, and he only does it, well, because he's, you know, Assyrian king, like, put a nose ring in him and a few other things and, and just makes him, and he turns to God at that point in his life. Maybe he heard the stories of his great-grandfather Hezekiah, I don't know, but somehow, at 16 years old, Josiah decides, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to turn to God, and I'm just going to seek him. There's, there's no, no threat of war. There's no, it's not like he's in trouble. He just suddenly decides, I am going to seek God. And he does. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, says this, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. 
And that's only the first part of the verse. I want to stop there for just a minute. This is something we need to see and understand. Like no one forced Josiah to seek God. He wasn't commanded by the king. He was the king. He suddenly decides that he, he is going to seek the Lord. By choice, Josiah says, I am going to seek the Lord. What does that mean for the king of Judah? He doesn't have a blueprint. Like he doesn't have like, this is step one to seek God. He doesn't have any discipleship manuals. He doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have anything. He suddenly decides to seek God. No small groups. <laughs> he just postured himself towards God. And we continue reading in verse 3. It says, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah of, and Jerusalem of the high places. Asherpoles carved idols and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were turned down, torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherpoles, the idols, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. Okay, so like right there in that one verse, it's a four-year jump. Right? In the start of verse 3, it says when he was 16, eight years into his reign, when he was 16, he began to seek God. But then four years later, he begins to purge Judah of all the wreck and junk that's in the nation. So he tears down the altars and incense bowl, and, and there's some stuff in there that I won't get into detail because it gets kind of gory, but he takes care of a lot of stuff, and he, he gets rid of all the stuff that's not good. He does something about it. He begins to recognize. It took him four years of seeking God to recognize that the stuff around him was not good, and he does something about it. He begins to clean up his nation. And then he went back to Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 8, in the 18th year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maaseah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Jehoaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Okay. He begins seeking God. In the eighth year of his reign, he's 16 years old. Four years later, he begins to purge the nation. About six years later, in the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 years old, he begins to rebuild and restore the temple. He, he, he has this process. It's taken him time to get there. He's taken, taken, taken some time for him to really grasp what's going on in his nation, what he needs to do as the leader, and he begins to do it. In verse 10, it says, he entrusted the money to, to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they paid the workers who did the repairs and the renovation of the temple. Verse 14 says, while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Shaphan took credit, took the scroll to the king and reported your officials are doing everything they were assigned to do. The money was that was collected at the temple of the Lord has been turned over to the supervisors and workmen. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, 
Ahiakim, son of Shaphan, Abkor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Azaiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything the scroll says we must do. Now, now this is interesting because when you start to recognize this, you begin to realize that, that Josiah's on this journey of seeking God, but he hasn't got the full picture. In fact, he doesn't even have the scrolls of Moses. He doesn't have that stuff. He doesn't have the law. He doesn't have the covenants. He doesn't have the stuff. He doesn't know what to do. And when he discovers it, and when it's brought to him, He's been on this journey of seeking God, and all of a sudden he realizes we are far from where God wants us to be. He tears his clothes, and, and basically it's just a sign of repentance and mourning and realizing, oh no, we are in trouble. Even though he's been making all these changes, he's been doing all this stuff, he recognizes we must repent. I must repent. I didn't do it. I'm just doing the best I can, and I still realize i got to repent. That's Josiah. And he gathers all the people. In verse 29, it says this. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority besides the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. You know, there's two things to learn right here from Josiah. The first one is Josiah committed to follow God's commands. That's a great move by a leader, right? I mean, that, that's, I'm committing to follow God's commands. Look, look, that's something that on a regular basis, all of us can learn from, right? We can all come back to that moment and, and be going, but I'm going to commit once again to follow God's commands. I, I'm going I'm to follow the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to try and live out what the scriptures teach me. And, and as Josiah recognizes, they've been far from him. They had struggled to, as a nation to follow God. He, he says, look, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to follow God's commands. But he doesn't make that commitment private. He makes it public. And he says, in fact, you can hold me accountable to it. He, he basically says in front of all the nation, look, I'm making this commitment. I'm wanting all of you to do it too. But, but he goes a little bit further than say, I want all of you to make that commitment. The scriptures tell us he required everyone to make that commitment. As king, he makes everybody renew that pledge. This one may not be as good as the first one. Okay, it's cool that he legislated that in. It's cool that he, he's telling everybody, but, but he used this position as king to require obedience. The downside with this is the people obeyed, but they didn't give their hearts to it. 
Look, Josiah was on a 10-year journey of understanding what it meant to follow God. He was ready to make a commitment. He'd been on this 10-year journey of trying to follow God and trying to learn and to grow and all those things. And, and, and all of a sudden, he springs us on the people and requires them to obey. There are times that we require people to obey, but we also need to inspire people to obey as well. I, I think the mistake that Josiah makes here is that he used his position to lead instead of relying on his relational capital to get the people to listen and inspiring them to follow his example. Now, I'm going to go a little leadership crazy on you for just a minute, okay? Uh, on, the, on the screen, uh, Cole's going to put up a little graphic here of, of John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. Now, we're not going to talk about all five. Okay, not, not going to talk about a five, but, but here's what I want you to see. And this is just news kind of stuff. It's not Bible, okay? It's just, just a leadership principle. But, but the five, five levels of leadership, the first one is, is position. And people follow because they have to in a position situation, right? Okay, so the lowest level of leadership, entry level, is position. As I talk about this, you're, you're going to recognize, you're, you're going to kind of walk through this. When you, when you start to think about this, you're, you're going to go, wait a minute, I, I work in that, and I have one of those, or I have one of those. You may recognize that you have bosses or whatever in your life that, that, that fit this. And, and so, okay, people who make it only to level one may be bosses, but they're never leaders. They have subordinates, not team members. They rely on rules, regulations, policies, and org charts to control their people. Their people will only follow them within the stated boundaries of their authority. Position is the only level that does not require ability and effort to achieve. Anyone can be appointed to a position. This means that position is a fine starting point. But every leader should be, aspire to grow beyond level one. Look, and you may be asking the question, how do I know that the people didn't really get the heart of what Josiah was saying? Josiah had discovered what it meant to follow God. He knew that he had to just fall on his face before God and, and, and recommit. And the reason I know that is because when Josiah dies, the people go right back to the pagan idol worship. When, 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 when Josiah's off the scene, now, now understand, okay, the nation of Judah, the, the, the southern kingdom, and the northern, well, the nor, northern kingdom was just bad, okay, so they just, like, consistently bad. Now, the southern kingdom had this tendency to look a little bit like the stock market, right? Really good, they're doing great. New king, really bad. They'd stay down there for a while and, and get a new king, maybe eventually a couple late kings, and then they'd go back up, they'd be doing great, they'd follow God, then they'd go back down again. And that was a, it was a cycle. They did it regularly. If you count up all the kings, it's just the way it worked. So we're not going to talk about all this, but we'll kind of walk through for just a minute. You, you kind of look at those other levels, and you may or may not better read the fine print, but permission, uh, second level, people follow because they want to. Like, there are some people you follow because you want to follow. Uh, production, people follow because of what you've done for the organization. Uh, level five, four is people development, reproduction. People follow because of what you've done for them. And then the pinnacle, people follow because of who you are and what you represent. And you, you, get, you get around leaders that are moving up the 
levels of leadership, and there's more buy-in and there's more celebration. Now, I I want you to compare that. I want you to compare the the leadership of Josiah to another guy that we know pretty well from the Old Testament, and that would be Joshua. If you look at Joshua 24, 14, he says this. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the people he's leading, and he says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors? Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Well, you could even contrast it with Jesus' leadership, right? Or Jesus, when he's calling people to be his disciples, he's walking along and he simply says to them, come, follow me. Come, follow me. He didn't add in, because if you don't sucker, you're going to bow one day. All right? He didn't say that. He's like, he's like come follow me. Because he knows that if, he, if the people will follow, his life is going to affect them so powerfully. They're wanting to follow. See, look, the reason why we follow Jesus today is because of his incredible love and grace that's been poured out and demonstrated to us through the cross, through his, through his resurrection, and, and through his willingness to forgive us of our sins. When, when I sing that song, and I know people you know, kind of theologically struggle with the song sometimes, but the reckless love of God If you had one son and you had one plan to save the world, would you send that one son into this world helpless as a baby? Seems like a crazy plan to me. But that's what God did. God sent his son when you and I were, as we see, in, and I don't know the same song, I don't know, because I'm terrible at music. I'm just, how do my kids do this stuff, right? I mean, like, they're all playing. I can't even remember words, let alone play them. I guess you don't play words, do you? Now you can see my struggles, okay? When we're still his foe, while we're yet his enemies, Christ died for us. Like, that's incredible to think about that, to think that, 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 that God would send his son helpless as a baby into this world because he knows that 33 years later, he's going to go to the cross, he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to pay the price for my sin and your sin because of his incredible love for us. Incredible and grateful. But that invitation that Jesus made when he walked this planet, come follow me, is still the same invitation he's offering today. He's still saying to every person in our world, and often through us, and should be through us, we should be presenting Jesus to the people around us, and we ought to be encouraging people, look, come follow Jesus. Come follow the Savior. Because he paid a price for your sin. He's worth following. Look, we can't force anybody to do it, right? 
Jesus doesn't force anybody to follow either. It's an invitation. One of the greatest challenges we face, look in parenting probably, is a, is a balance between requiring, requiring kids to do things and getting them to see the value in it. Especially when it comes to following Jesus. Like in our family, it wasn't really optional to go to church, okay? It, it was kind of a requirement, you know, it was a requirement. We, we required them to go to church. The, there was other things we didn't require. There's other things we didn't require them to do that were extras, whatever. Other things were optional. Optional. They didn't want to do it. They didn't have to. But one of the things that Ansel and I have tried to do is live the teachings of Jesus in front of our kids, the teachings of the scriptures, in front of our kids and try and inspire them to want to follow our example and to follow Jesus. Look, if the kings have any other lessons for us like this, I mean, think about this. For, for those of you that are parents and have kids that are gone, um, that are, that are, that are um, grown up, married, whatever, living on their own, like the kings give us an incredible picture. You could be the best king in the world, and it doesn't mean your kid's going to follow your example. You could be a horrible king, and your kid may not follow your example. Look, part of, part of parenting is giving the best you have and letting the grace of God work in your kids' lives. It's, it's recognizing that really every kid, every child has to make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves. They have to make that decision on their own. They, they've got to follow. No, look, there's certain things we're going to require, right? There's this balance point. We're going to require them to do certain things. We're going to require them to come to church with us, those kind of things. We're going to require that. But we're not going to force them to do other things. But I am going to do everything I can to live what I speak and to live what I preach in front of them so that I don't give them a reason not to follow. Like, and that's what Josiah was doing in some ways, by making the commitment in front of all the people. saying, look, I'm making the commitment to follow God. I'm making a commitment to honor the covenants and the commands and all those things. I'm going to do that. You can hold me accountable. I've said it publicly. I'm going to do this. But he required the people to do it. Again, that also tells us we can probably never legislate Christianity into people's lives. Well, you can't. I mean, it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. We can't. We, now there's, we got to make laws and all those things, and we, we would let, push on those things. And all. I get it. But the point is, it will never bring heart change. Heart change only comes by surrender. It only comes by, 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 by deciding to follow Jesus. That's where it happens. Look, so if you've, if you've got kids that are grown and, 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 and they're not following your example, and you know you made some mistakes, but, but, but they're not following, look, you can't have guilt over that. Everybody has to make a decision to follow Jesus. And if the kings could make decisions to follow God with horrible examples ahead of them, um, Josiah is not the worst example. Ammon is not the worst example of a. The worst example is probably um, Hezekiah's father, who you know sacrificed kids in the fire and stuff like that. So yeah, bad. I mean, so but Hezekiah turns out great. But then you have great kings, and their kids turn out bad. The point is that 
our responsibility is to do the best we can. Look, we're never going to be perfect as a parent. It's not going to happen. And leave that to, the, to God's grace and ability to work through us and to add into what we've done and, and inspire kids to, to follow. Look, I know how this principle works, right? Here's how the principle works. I can give you a great example. Like some days, like when I preach, I'm like, man, I, that was a good sermon. I like hit that all the part. That was amazing. That was, wow, you know, like, and no one says anything to me. There's other days where I'm like, that was terrible. What did I say? And people walk up to you and go, Pastor Steve, that's the most amazing message I've ever heard in my life. What were you listening to? Did you have something in your head? Well, I was speaking. Did you fall asleep and have a dream I was preaching? What, what happened? That is God's ability to take what we walk through and what we're teaching or whatever and apply it in a person's life and use his grace and his power and, and he, he speaks to people in spite of sometimes the things that I say. Right? And, and that's what, but that's also true in, in, in parenting. That's also true in, in leadership. That's, it's true in so many ways that you can inspire others to follow. So, so here's some questions as we finish up today. Some questions that you can ask yourself. The first one is this. Whose faith do you have? Someone else's? Or your own faith? Who, whose faith do you have? Someone else's or your own? The people had Josiah's faith. And when Josiah passed on, they went back to do whatever they did. Now, now, in their defense, in their defense, drifting toward God doesn't happen. Drifting away from God does. Drifting away from God comes naturally in all of our lives. If we're going to let our lives just kind of go, we are going to naturally drift from God to something else. Like, it, it just doesn't have, you have to be, that's why it's called discipleship, because it has to be disciplined. It has to be worked out. The only way to grow, to become closer to Jesus, is by intentional decision-making to come toward him. Okay? He's coming to us, but we've got to constantly bring ourselves back to him, because if we don't, we will drift away. Other things will fill our world. And the same thing is true in our faith. We, we, we need to have our own faith. We, we need to make the decision to follow Jesus for ourselves. One of the great things of parenting is to try and help kids get to a place where they stand on their own. Like that's success in parenting, right? I mean, like that they're not still living in your basement when they're 30. Right? It's just, if you are, sorry, I didn't mean that. Okay, just, just <laughs> you know, there's life circumstances, whatever. Don't, don't take that as, but part of the goal is you're try, trying to raise your kids to fly and be free, right? I mean, you want them to, yeah. You, 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 I mean, I would take them back any time. It wouldn't be a problem. I love them. I love my kids, but I'm looking forward to my grocery bill going down someday. You know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> Look, number two, you can have all the trappings of wealth and success and not be blessed by God. 
Look, you, you can see in, 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 in Josiah's life and then the king's after, you can see all the things that are going on. It looks like it's great. It looks like it's good. But, but really, legacy is born out of what lives beyond you. And you know I had a little crash with this. Like, you know, about six months ago, having a heart attack, brought a reality to me that said, oh my goodness. Like, I, I, I could be gone. But it's in that moment you realize, wait a minute. Let, let's focus on the things that are most important. Let's focus on the things that are most important. Like, like most important isn't stuff. It's the people around me. It's the people in this world. I don't care about a lot of other things. What I do care about is, how are the people around me? How are the people I'm serving? How are they doing? Number three. Are you ruling like a king? Or are you inspiring others to follow? Are you ruling like a king? Or are you inspiring others to follow? When it comes to kids, inspire them to follow. Oh, there's some king moments in there. Don't get me wrong. If you're going to, there's certain things you got to, just this is the way it's going to be. But explain it. Tell them why. But if you want others to really live it out when you're gone, you got to inspire them to follow. You, you, you've got to give them a target to shoot at, just like Paul did. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's line. Follow me as I follow Christ. And inspire people to want to leave a legacy. To do something that's going to last well beyond their lifetime. The greatest legacy Josiah could have left. This gives a whole other story and a whole other thought, but succession planning. How do I lead in a way to hand off and to have people build on what I've done? Jesus was incredible at that. We ought to work towards it ourselves. Inspire others to follow. Don't rule like a king. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And God, I pray this morning for those who maybe are gathered in this room and, and Lord, they, they, they're not sure where they're at in their faith or they're not sure whose faith. They, Lord, I pray this morning that they would just make a commitment to follow you. Or may, maybe they've made that commitment before, but, but they know that other things have gotten in the way and they've... Lord, would you help every one of us to make a commitment like Josiah made for ourselves. It would say, I am going to follow God. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to let him work in my life. I, I'm going to come back to the centrality of the gospel and, and the message of Jesus, and that's going to be my center focus of my life. Lord, I pray that there'd be many that just say, that, that's what I'm going to do making a commitment afresh and new today that I'm going to follow Jesus and it's my faith. And Lord, help us. Help us to inspire others to follow. 
to give some people something to shoot at. I think, oh, I want to be like my dad or my mom. I don't be like so-and-so. It's an incredible example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want, to be, I want to pray like that person. I want to serve like that person. I want to love like that. I want to be welcoming like that person. Lord, help us to put examples out there for people to follow. That they would see Jesus in us and they would want to emulate our lives because we're following you well. Lord, I pray there'd be some people that make that kind of a commitment today. Lord, help us to live that out as we walk through this day, this week, and that we would make commitments regularly to bring ourselves back to the the focus of the gospel, that we wouldn't try to drift through life, but rather we'd live with this discipline and intentionality, that we would leave a legacy in our lives that matters. Lord, we thank you for it. God, I pray to have your way in these closing moments. In Jesus' name, amen.